Hello and welcome to the August Review Show on Crime Time FM. I'm Paul Burke and I write about crime fiction. And this is my latest sweep of the new crime fiction titles for your perusal. So first up from the award-winning author of The Yellow Birds, as Kevin Powers, comes a line in the sand. And this is the Iraq War veteran's first full-on thriller, and it's absolutely top-notch. All the depth of character and insight into the effects of war that came with his literary novels, with a bonus of a plot that is relevant and totally gripping. This is the story of Armand Bajlan, who works at a motel near Virginia Beach. He's early one morning and witnesses a row between three men before discovering a body. The ex-interpreter for the US Army, now relocated, survived an assassination attempt in which his wife and child were murdered in Afghanistan. Armand is deeply traumatised and a lonely man, surviving day to day, but he begins to suspect that this murder is connected to his own past and he's no longer safe. The detectives looking into the case are suspicious of Arman. They check him out with Homeland Security. Bodies are starting to drop around him. So is he a victim caught in the middle of something, or is this revenge for the past on his part? Meanwhile, journalist Sally Yule is investigating one of the private contractors that made huge sums of money from US contracts in Afghanistan. The CEO of Decision Tree International is currently before the House Oversight Committee as billions in new contracts are awarded. As the police try to keep up with unfolding events, Arman and Sally look to uncover a conspiracy that goes to the heart of government. The odds, not to say the money and the resources, are stacked against them. A strong conspiracy spy thriller that feels all too real, but it's even further elevated by the richness of character and the exploration of grief and the perseverance of people wronged. It's empathetic and authentic, perhaps even more powerful as the tale of an interpreter rather than a US veteran. Controlled and insightful, but also angry at the betrayals that come with America's war on terror, both domestically and abroad. Available now in hardback from SEPTA. The Continental Affair by Christine Mangan is the story of Henri and Louise. When we meet them, they greet the strangers on a train to Istanbul, but by this stage, they're well acquainted. They're on the run across Europe from a criminal gang who want the money that Louise stole back. Henri is an ex-cop, part of the oppressive regime in Algeria during the early 60s uprising. He's both horrified and traumatised by the experience. He found it easy to slip into the Granada underworld as a gopher for distant relatives when he left the country. Louise is a well-off young woman, from a comfortable English village, but lonely and scarred by family debt and expectation. They meet by chance. Henri is handling a trade in a public park when his contact panics and drops the money. In the confusion, Louise picks it up and runs. Rather than confront her, Henri follows her. The two embark on an adventure, a train journey to Istanbul via Paris and Belgrade. Strangers become lovers while they seek solace in each other and try to come to terms with their past and they hope for a fresh start. But of course the gang want their money back and they're on the trail of the pair. This is an elegant novel, rich in setting, with a gripping cat and mouse chase. It has the drive of a good spy story. The bittersweet love story is the emotional core of the novel. Heartrending at times, it explores gender, damaged souls, sacrifice, and the culture and politics of the turbulent 1960s. As a package, it's a gripping read. Published in hardback by Bedford Square. And now to a collection of short stories curated by David Penny called An Unnecessary Assassin. This is a charity collection and it contains 17 crime stories and two poems and they've all been donated by the authors. 
It's an aid of npolio.org. Writers include Lee Child, Zoe Sharp, James Oswald, and Robert Scragg. The ebook and the paperback are available now, and I've attached a link on the program notes both to the book and to the charity. But here's a little taster of the stories. Anne Cleve gives us murder in the library for Vera and sidekick Joe Ashworth to solve. It's a close circle mystery, and it's poignant and reveals a bit about Vera and Joe, and that's called The Habit of Silence. Rob Parker's The Buzz of Volatility is about a boy abroad in a big bad world at night. It's a wicked piece of prestidigitation and packs a hell of a punch. James Oswald's The Final Reel is an increasingly nutty mystery for Inspector Tom McLean. An apparent suicide and a seemingly tragic accident are not so simple after all. Best Served Cold by F.D. Quinn sees an underappreciated woman jolted out of the pattern of her life by something that shocks her to the core, and so she's planning a new life, leaving behind a parting gift. A Face for Murder by Judith O'Reilly is a creepy read, a juxtaposition of two disparate strands of the story that work together to heighten the tension of this macabre tale. And Vengeance is Mine by Mark Ellis is a Frank Merlin story set in London in April 41. It's entertaining and as ever has an authentic feel for time and place. This is a varied and enjoyable collection. As always, of course, with a collection you can dip in and out, but for me, these were intriguing enough stories to just keep reading in one go. And now over to David Penny, who edited the collection, to tell us just a little bit more. Thanks, Paul. The idea for the book was hatched at the 2022 Harrogate Crime Festival. One of our number, Lorraine Stevens, wanted to raise funds for the Rotary International Charity for the Eradication of Polio. Someone suggested that as we were surrounded by famous and talented writers, why not put together a collection of stories? It was a great idea, but little did we know then how much work it would be. Not that anyone minded. As someone familiar with the publication process, I was volunteered to put the collection together. It was both onerous and exciting because I was the first person to read many of these great stories. Every single person we approached agreed immediately to submit, so the plot was hatched. And now, almost a year later, the book has been published. Already, it has raised over £1,000 for the charity. All stories were submitted free and nobody was paid for their time or work. All proceeds go to charity and the Gates Foundation has offered to triple any money raised. Thank you very much, David. It's really interesting to have that extra detail about the book. Next up is 77 North by D.L. Marshall. This is the third in the John Tyler series following Anthrax Island and Black Run. And the pace and energy of the first two volumes is certainly upheld in this, the third. Ian Rankin described Anthrax Island as Alistair MacLean but turbocharged, and that is spot on. So you do get carried away by the pace. But as you read, you realise there's more depth to this story too. John Tyler is supposed to be dead, but he's actually gone rogue, currently globetrotting, suiciding people he thinks were responsible for his brother's death in Afghanistan. But he's been treading on important toes. Caught in the act by the CIA, Tyler is blackmailed into doing a job to square the books. A Russian scientist has information on a double agent within NATO and will only talk to Tyler about it. That means a trip to an ice-locked island in Siberia, the site of KGB Cold War experiments. Both the scientist and Tyler have enemies, and they're about to come to call. All systems go action-packed fun. If high-octane thrillers are your thing, this is your beach read. 
or your fireplace read, for that matter. Published by Canelo Crime in paperback. Amanda Cassidy's first novel, Breaking, was an intense and powerful psychological novel. Her second novel, The Return, sounds equally intriguing, but I'll let Amanda tell you about that. They told me that my baby son was killed in the fire that destroyed our home in Ireland, but six years have now passed and I've just seen him in a playground. Everyone around here thinks I'm delusional with grief, but a mother always knows her own child, doesn't she? Hello, that was my character Nancy Wills from my latest novel, The Returned. My own name is Amanda Cassidy and I'm also the author of Breaking, which was shortlisted for the CWA John Creasy Dagger Award. Both books are published by Canelo and The Returned is out this August. The story is also based around Ali Fields, a heavily pregnant detective who returns to Corlock, County Kerry, where she grew up herself, to try and figure out exactly what happened in the house fire. Her rookie detective Clark Casey's enthusiasm grates, but they've a job to do. Why are locals acting as if they're protecting someone? Who is this child? And how will Ali cope as she faces her own tragic past? The Returned is for fans of Sharp Objects and The Missing, and if you like authors Lucy Foley and Lisa Jewell, I think you'll love it. Well, thank you, Amanda, for that insight into your new novel. Another thriller with an intense relationship at its heart now. This time it's a mother and daughter. Gone Tonight by Sarah Pekinen. As the story of two women, it's a gripping, heartbreaking read. Catherine Sterling and her mother Ruth are comfortable in their strong bond, both thinking they know each other almost infallibly. They trust each other. Catherine and Ruth are two against the world. That is until Catherine is about to embark on a new life for herself, a new career, moving away from home. Ruth thinks she can control Catherine, and she needs to, because she's afraid the past could come to light. They've been living a carefully constructed lie for many years. Catherine has no idea of Ruth's history, no idea of the deadly secrets of the past. Why have they moved so often? And why was Ruth always ready to leave at an instant? As the relationship between the two women begins to crack, Catherine discovers uncomfortable truths about the past, and discovers things about herself too. The dual perspective gives perfect depth and pace to this story. The plot itself is a little creaky at times, not quite in Karen Slaughter's class, but it is good and twisty, and the protagonists are very well realised. As I said, these two women carry the novel. Published by Orion in Hardback. And now for a slice of neo-noir with modern sensibilities that really skewers the dark side of Hollywood and delves into human nature and obsession. Hurricane Blonde by Halle Sutton. Selma is a guide for Six Feet Under tours, bringing the public to the death sites of Hollywood, including to the Biltmore for the murder of Beth Short, cut in half and then posed in a macabre fashion. A crime now infamous as the Black Dahlia murder of 1947. As an unsolved crime, it's been a fascination for true crime and fiction and it sets the mood here. Salma is a survivor. Her own sister, Tawny Lowe, was murdered 20 years earlier, the hurricane blonde of the title. And she's now dealing with the pain of that, the aftermath of her own career as a child star, and alcoholism, for which she served two terms in the Betty Ford Clinic. Salma has always believed controversial film director Cal Turner murdered her sister. Naive young actress Melanie is about to play Tawny, in a new movie which is scripted by a gossip columnist, and that will be directed by Turner. Salma feels protective of her. Then Salma finds a dead body, a young woman bearing a striking resemblance to Tawny. Is it happening all over again? And she knows she has to finally convince the world that Turner is a killer. This is a novel of redemption, 
A well-plotted mystery rich in mood and right to the point with themes of misogyny, the culture of celebrity and obsession, and the glittering veneer of Hollywood is exposed. It's both a disturbing and a gripping read. Published by Allison and Busby in hardback. And now over to Caro Ramsey to tell us a little bit about her new novel, The Devil's Stone. I'm Caro Ramsey, a doyenne of Tartan Noir. The Devil's Stone is the first book in a new series featuring DCI Christine Kaplan. In the hills above a small Scottish village, a mansion lies empty, except for the five dead bodies on the floor of the landing. They lie arranged neatly, covered by a duvet, as if they were sleeping. Apart, that is, from the artefacts of satanic mass that surround them. The McGregor family heirloom, the Devil Stone, is the only item missing. DCI Kaplan, relocated from Glasgow after losing a piece of evidence, is put in charge of the case. A big city cop, she struggles in the remote countryside where the most heinous crime, until now, has been salmon poaching. She needs the Devil Stone investigation to regain her professional reputation. With the aid of her somewhat eccentric colleagues, she attempts to break the case, but not before further life has been lost. The Devil Stone paperback is published on the 31st of August, 2023. And I'm sure it'll be as dark and enjoyable as Carol Ramsey's other novels. White Fire by Adam Hamdy is the conclusion to the Scott Pierce trilogy. It works in its own right as a thriller, but together with Black Thirteen and Red Wolves, the other two novels, it forms a whole that is a bit richer and a bit deeper. So by all means read this high-octane thriller for the story, but for the full impact, read the other two novels first. So if it's true that North 77 shows how a high-octane thriller can have action aplenty and blistering pace, and yet still have layers of insight into society, it's even more so with White Fire by Hamdi, who I think can rightly be accused of setting a benchmark. Hamdi knows that a thriller can offer so much more when it addresses society's ills, while of course maintaining a desire to entertain and to transport readers. This gives Whitefire a dark edge and authenticity that's quite frankly a little scary. As well as encompassing a zeitgeisty story, Hamdi brings us well-rounded characters who reflect on the diversity of society and definitely not the outdated tropes of the past. The team that Scott and Layla lead have become old friends. When one of them dies at the start, it hits home with a force. Actions always have consequences in Hamdi's thrillers, as he delves well below the surface of the usual action model. We come full circle with the storyline laid out in Black 13. Driven partly by revenge, the small group led by Scott infiltrate a radical environmental group. Is their determination to avert climate disaster being subverted by a darker power? A conspiracy spreading hatred, division and criminality operates cross-border to undermine democracy and society. Old enemies emerge alongside new adversaries in white fire. An intricate plot that never surrenders place manages to convey a suitable gravitas as the stakes aren't just high, they're all or nothing for the future of civilised society. Hamdi always has his finger on the pulse and this is perfect escapism, but it will come back to haunt you later as you think about the issues raised. Published by Macmillan in paperback. I was excited to get stuck into The City of the Living by Nicola LaJoya after 2017's Ferocity. I like novels that tell personal stories, but manage to address issues in society, and meld the micro and the macro in a way that makes sense of the dark corners of human affairs. This is translated from the Italian by Anne Goldstein. The City of the Living blurs the line between true crime and fiction, reportage and imagination and invention, and it does it to stunning effect. Think Truman Capote, 
but with an agenda aimed at shining a light on the dark corners, not reveling in the anguish and prolonging the pain. Two young men murder and torture a third young man one night in March 2016. Luca Verani's death appears random and senseless. It becomes something the press can revel in, creating a fear in society and sending shockwaves through Rome and Italy. LaGioia's own investigation leads him close to the victim's family and into corresponding with one of the killers. The resultant story examines masculinity, male friendships, betrayal, control, sexual identity, family guilt, community, and the culture and politics that surround the crime. LaGioia builds a picture of the city and the psychology of the individual. What brings the two young men to the point of murder? How responsible is society? How much do we want to know, or are we willing just to turn a blind eye until tragedy strikes? The story is elegantly simple in the telling, but as powerful a psychological portrait of youth and society as any published true crime this year. In essence, this brilliant book seems to sum up the weight of a terrible crime in a way that news stories, gossip and prejudice usually manage to obscure. Another superb read from this writer. Published by Europa Editions in paperback. Two things to round off. First of all, my left field pick. The Secret History of the Mongols in a new translation by Christopher B. Atwood. The 13th century saga recounting the life of Genghis Khan, his forebears and his ancestors. This is the earliest known work on the Mongols in the Mongolian language and is an extraordinary view of Khan, the warlord, the conqueror, but also of the vast landscape of the country, of families, of family feuds, culture and political intrigue, and the birth of a nation, with a comprehensive afterword, notes and appendix. The energy and drive of this translation mean that this is not only a remarkable and important record, it's an epic that has style and verve and readability. Published by Penguin Classics And so to my last book, another book of short stories actually. This is Stray Dog Blues by Paul D. Brazil. I know it'll sound a little strange because I haven't read all of this book yet, but I really did want to include it here and let me explain why. But one thing is certainly that you have to give some space to independent publishers because they certainly find it very hard at the moment to get space in bookshops and to get seen for the quality of writing that they bring us. And sadly you may have noticed recently that Red Dog Press went under. And I certainly wish anybody who was involved in that brilliant enterprise well for the future. So to be clear though, this isn't just a random pick. I've read several of these stories before because they've been published already. It's just that this is the first time they've been collected together here. I admit there are a few I've missed, but I can speak to the quality of the ones I have read and to how much I enjoy Paul D. Brazil's writing. My favourite is Red Esperanto, which is actually the opening story. Red Esperanto features a Brit abroad. He's in Warsaw. He thinks he's ahead of the game, even though he's in the middle of an affair with Crazy Yola, who's married to Robert Novak, and Robert Novak is a gangster. Meanwhile, and not unconnected, Olena is fed up with her stalker. Yola has a devious plan for changing their lives, and our man is only too willing to help. It's a story of betrayal, obsession, and not seeing the bigger picture. On second reading and knowing the outcome, it's still an enjoyable story. These stories, well, they're about underdogs and misfits and sticky situations. Set in Poland and Seatown, snippets of short stories that hit a single note, but with precision. Riley comic, poignant, perhaps best described as little bursts of noir. Characters who elicit our sympathy. We could perhaps be them, 
but for the grace of. Brazil likes to play around a little. There are pop song titles and little notes throughout the stories that will strike a chord from somewhere else. Essentially what we have is a collection of characters who actually are living the blues. As I said, I haven't read all these stories, but the ones I have read I really did enjoy. And it's simply a matter of time and I did want to include this book. Published by Next Chapter in paperback and ebook. Well, that's it, and thank you very much for listening. I hope you find something in that little lot that does entertain you and you might want to buy. Uh, all the titles are available on the program notes, and of course I'll be back with another review show next month. In the meantime, the usual interviews will be going on, so please do catch up with that, and Victoria will be starting Season 5 of On the Sofa very shortly. If you've enjoyed the show, please rate and subscribe with your favourite podcast provider. Again, thank you very much for listening, and bye for now. Bye for now.